So um, it's good to be back. We had a great time, um, but it was also weird to not be here. We visited some other churches, and uh, I love the body of Christ, uh, but this particular corner of the body of Christ I love more than others. If you know what I mean, I mean, it's just, this is family. And we went to some really slick worship services, but they weren't family. This is where my family is. I've been to some really, really nice houses that were not my home. And it was nice to visit, but there's nothing like coming home where you know where the messes are, where the closets are, where you hide all the messes when people come over, where that room is, where you throw stuff when people come over. You know where the fridge is and where that secret stash of whatever your favorite thing is in the back of the fridge, where that is, and that's, this is home. And so there's just nothing like it. So we're super happy to be here. Um, I do want to thank our elder team. They did a lot of awkward thinking of me, um, but I really, like, if it weren't for them, this would not be possible. And I, I'm just the leader of the elder team. I am not special in any way, and I think this proves it. Um, being gone for three months and God moved, and I know that you missed me. I'm not saying you didn't miss me, all right? I missed you, but this is really encouraging for us, not just that we had some time off, but that the church didn't die, and that the plates kept spinning in the air, and, and the world kept turning, which is what I want to preach about this morning is about Sabbath. But before I get there, I got to thank people. I thank our elders. I want to thank Susan, especially. Um, it's right that she just got picked out, and now she's probably hiding in a hole somewhere from... Oh, she's... Okay, she's doing more things. Um, so thank you, Susan, for that. Um, and I just also want to thank you guys. Uh, there's a lot of pastors that never feel released to take a sabbatical at all. And it's the number one reason why pastors burn out and quit before they retire. And you guys, your hearts towards us um, is evident in the fact that there was just, there was no like grumbling about, you know, must be nice, didn't get any of that. Maybe you muttered it to yourself, but there was just none of that stuff that, you know, you kind of wonder if you're going to get. And so it was, it's been a real blessing. Um, I literally don't know anything that's happened for the last three months. Uh, my phone went silent, as did Heather's, which is the greater miracle. Uh, and, and so if I, my only fear is that I will in, somehow innocently and without knowing it step and, and step into something someone else is doing that they weren't doing before and get in your way, all right? And I'm still trying to figure out all the stuff that's going on. That, was, that video was amazing. And, and so if I step on your thing and you're like, hey, I just painted that or whatever, uh, then, then just let me know because I had no idea. It's not like me because um, I've already done some things that you know, I shouldn't have done. I'm having to learn new habits, all right? And I'll talk about that too. Um, so I would say our sabbatical was a success. I think both Heather and I are refreshed, encouraged. Um, she says she is, uh, I, I am, uh, refocused on what God's actually called us to do instead of trying to do a bunch of stuff that just seems like it needs to be done, but I don't have to do it necessarily. Um, that's 
a, a new thing for us to be refocused, re-envisioned for what God's called us to do in this church. And part of that is allowing, making room for other people to do things that they're called to do. Um, that's important for us to be healthy. Um, so I don't have any new revelation from God, if you're expecting that. I'm not Moses coming down off the mountain with new tablets of stone to reveal to you some new insight into God. It's just Jesus, man, right? And, and that's all I know. So we're, we are encouraged um, and blessed. And Heather's going to join me in just a minute um, as part of the message this morning. Um, so a couple of things that are different for us is, one, is our family was living, I think, at a pace before that was unhealthy. And I don't know if you've ever been in that place before yourself, but you kind of don't notice it. it just, that kind of thing happens gradually. And, and once you stop for a minute, you realize you were going too hard. And so we're slowing down, uh, which I don't think anybody's going to be upset about. I don't even know if you'll notice if I slow down. I think you'll notice if she does. Um, but but so, so that's one big thing. And when we want to live at a healthy pace, which I'll talk about in a minute biblically. Um, along with that, we're in a place as a church, I think, where Heather and I can start to be more specialists instead of generalists, which is an important transition to make when you hit about the number of people that we have like it's simply not possible for one person to shepherd everybody and especially not me i'm not what they call a high capacity leader i'm just not i'm sorry that's not, i don't feel insulted by that by the way it's freeing to realize who you are I, i'm not one of those people that can just kind of shepherd like 200 people um, by himself and and i think that's good because it creates a healthy environment for other people to do that and so the small group leaders are kind of, aside from Susan, are the unsung heroes because we, right before I left, we put a lot of new responsibility on them that they didn't actually sign up for when they said they'd be a small group leader. And they have joyfully taken on that responsibility for kind of being the first line of shepherding in the church. And that's maybe the most encouraging thing that's happened for me is to see them step up and do those things. Um, all right, so I'm excited to get back to work. And speaking of getting back to work, I want to get into Genesis chapter 2. Christina totally stole my thunder. Um, did you look at my notes or something? It's just not right. Um, so the word Sabbath comes from the word Shabbat. I almost said it because uh, it's right there. Um, and it means to cease. It's to cease from work in this case. And the first place where you see that word used in the Bible is in Genesis 2, 1 to 3. Christine, do you want to read it again? Um, no? You're, once was enough? Okay. Uh, it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested, that's that word Shabbat, on the seventh day from all his work, that he had done, so God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested, or Shabbat again, from all his work that he had done in creation. So God declared the day holy, and Shabbat is the signal of that holy designation. The, the celebration of that holiness, or the indicator, the, the visible representation of that holiness is rest. Isn't that interesting? That rest would be considered holy. That is not our culture, by the way. 
If you see, there was one shot in that video of Scott sitting in a chair and everyone else splitting wood. And everybody chuckled. Right. But here's the thing I want to point out. We chuckled because our culture says rest is not holy. It says, look, if you're, if you're, not, if you're working, you're, you're a good person. If you're not working, you're a bad person. That's not what the Bible says. He says the seventh day, the day of rest, is a day that's holy. From the start, resting is holy. This is not because work is evil, by the way, and rest or rest was evil. Work was the thing that they did the other six days. So work is what you do for six days, and you get all the work done, you work hard, you pour yourself out. So there's nothing left. You are crawling across the finish line full of of that wonderful feeling of having worked so hard that you're actually really tired, but you're really happy because you did something worthwhile. And then on that seventh day, you look back over the six days, and you go, oh, look look what God did. I got a lot done. This feels good, and I can enjoy it for a day. Both are equally holy. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is before the fall, before sin came into the world and messed everything up. God ordained that they would work. So work is part of our design. I tend to think of work as evil and I imagine my life in heaven being full of laying... People will complain about the picture of the little Cupid on the cloud just chilling, playing the harp. That sounds pretty great to me. I don't know why people go, oh, that's not what heaven... My heaven is laying on a puffy cloud and doing nothing all day, right? Um, just bring on the puffy cloud, right? Um, but that's not... The biblical picture, God ordained work as part of the good creation. And that's what Adam and Eve were supposed to be doing, was working hard, tending to creation, like sweating and working. It didn't become toil until the fall, until sin came in. Sin makes work hard. But work itself is a godly and holy thing. God himself works, that's what it says. Adam and Eve were made to work, commanded to work, and they loved to work. Work was not part of what work was part of our design and is necessary for your joy and your peace and your sense of purpose. Working hard, you can't you will not be happy if you don't work. You will not have joy, you will not have a sense of purpose if there's not something you're working for in your life. A human being needs to be useful or life quickly becomes desperate and hopeless. Have you ever noticed that? If you don't feel useful in some way, then you start to feel hopeless and pointless. In fact, God seems to think that work is so intoxicating to human beings that we need to be commanded to rest more strongly than we need to be commanded to work. If you look, if you survey the concept of work and Sabbath in Scripture, you get way more heat on the concept. When you don't Sabbath, God sends the Assyrians into your land to kill everyone. He's unhappy when there's no Sabbath kept. You don't get that. You get some emphasis on working. I'm not saying working doesn't matter. But this rest thing is important. I think part of it is it's intoxicating. 
when you realize how much you can accomplish if you set your mind to it, you can, the things we can build and create and the self-sufficiency we can have. Do you know in the 1950s, the, life expect, the average life expectancy was 65 years old? That's why the retirement age is 65. Now, it's 80 plus. In just one lifetime, the life expectancy has gone up incredibly. And that's because we work hard. And we make things and we invent things. You know, that can make you start to feel like you don't need God. You can replace dependence on God with hard work. And God says... Just like he did at the Tower of Babel, he says there's no end to what they can create. And part of his prescription for that is Sabbath. So the place where we get the clearest command, I think, is in Deuteronomy 5, the eighth commandment. Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15, it says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work all of it, leave nothing undone. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Notice there's two commandments here in one. One is work hard all six days. Get all of it done. Work like crazy. Spend all your energy. Get everything you need to get done. Get it done in six days. And then the second command is do not work at all on the seventh day. Why? Verse 15 tells us. It says, so you will remember that you were a slave not too long ago. And the one who delivered you was not you and your hard work, it was God. So it's to remind you that you came from a bad place and now you're in a good place. And the reason you got from the bad place to the good place is not you, it's not your ingenuity, it's not your amazing American work ethic. It is God and God alone who brought you to this good place. That's what you're supposed to remember. So to work, to look at it negatively, to work on the Sabbath, is to declare that you are your own provider and not God. This is the essence of why God takes it so very seriously, and it's why it's sinful to be so busy all the time. It's not just about you having a happy life. It's about honoring God with your work and with your rest. And if you're not resting, and you're, that means you're working all the time and you're dishonoring God. And you're saying, I can provide for myself if I just work another day. Just give me another 24 hours and I can solve it. And God says, no, 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 no. It's counterintuitive, but I want you to take that day and give it to me and remember who your provider is. So if we move forward in history to Exodus 16, Exodus 16 tells the story of how God fed the Israelites in the desert between Egypt where they were enslaved and they were on their way to the promised land and that in-between time that we all live in. They were grumbling and complaining because there wasn't enough food. They were hungry, starving. 
starting to say things like, it was better in Egypt. At least we had bowls of meat to eat. At least we had Chipotle. But now we're just in the desert, and where's God? You know, you just saw the Red Sea part, and a giant pillar of fire, and a pillar of cloud by day that would move and you could follow. It was like Jesus' GPS. But now you think God's not going to provide for you, and they grumbled, and so they were grumbling, complaining, and so God caused quail. He did two things to provide for them. He caused quail to come to the camp in the evening that they could eat an abundance of quail. I don't know, like an infestation of quail. And they could scoop them up and eat them. And then a bread-like food called manna to appear on the ground in the morning. And when the sun would come up, it would melt. None of the food could be stored past one day. You see the built-in lesson there? It would immediately rot and become filled with worms if they tried to keep it for a day. So on the sixth day of the week, there would be a double portion that would not rot so that they would be able to be fed on the Sabbath day, the seventh day, without having to actually work to collect it. So the illustration to that, the Sabbath principle is obvious. They get up early and have to work every day to collect the manna so they eat. For six days in a row, they can't sleep in or they don't eat. They have to get up early before the sun comes up and burns off all the manna and collect it all so they can eat for the day. And if they try to cheat and say, well, I'm going to sleep in tomorrow and I'm going to store some manna in my tent for tomorrow so I don't have to work, when they wake up in the morning, it's all rotted with worms in it. And they've missed the manna for the day and now they're hungry for a day. But on the sixth day, they get, they get permission from God to collect all that they can and it will last through the seventh day. And at the end of the seventh day, it's going to rot. We're back to that schedule. Rest is, a, rest is as much a matter of self-discipline as work is. They're both a matter of discipline. This is hard for me. I tend to think of rest as something I want to do and work as something I don't want to do. And that's not how God sees it. He sees them both as blessing and both of them as a matter of discipline. So if we jump forward into the New Testament, there's one more scripture I want to look at with you about Sabbath, and then we'll get into some practical implications. Hebrews chapter 4 is all about how Jesus lived, suffered, and died, and was raised. That's kind of the story. This was his labor, so to speak. Just being here was a labor. Being here in the flesh, he came, took on flesh, lived the life, of a man. That was hard. Then he suffered and died. That was more hard. Took on the sin of the world. That was his greatest labor. And then Hebrews describes him as having entered into his rest at the resurrection. Hebrews 4, 9 and 10 says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So because we've been unified with Christ in his death and resurrection, we're also unified with him in his rest. Jesus ascended to heaven, and he was seated at the right hand of the Father, and he rested from all his labor. And where you go, he goes. And where he goes, you go. You are united with him. When you become a Christian, he's in you, and you're in him. You are bound together forever. So imagine, where is Jesus right now? Is he working? No. No. 
He is chilling next to the Father. He's done his work. The work is completed. He did it on the cross for you. And he went up there and he said, I'm done. And the seventh day is now eternity with Jesus. You are actually at rest right now. That's what Jesus says about you. This is why we don't talk. Jesus actually is the Sabbath. He is your rest. He is your Sabbath. As Hebrews points out, this is why we don't talk about the Sabbath now like it's a law. It's not. It doesn't matter what day you take off. Some people disagree. That's fine. Go ahead. But that's not. Jesus is our Sabbath, and that's a much deeper thing than just saying, well, I'm going to take a day off every week or take a vacation every year. I think that's an interesting application, but it's not the point. It's a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. It's a reminder that we are united with him, that he is our rest, he is our source, and we are not the center of the universe, and we're not our own savior. Some of you are, have a white-knuckled panic grip on your life. As though if you take one second to take your eye off the ball, that it's all going to fall apart, and everything's just going to spin out of control in your life. You've got you to gotta grip onto your kids, or else you're going to lose them. And you've got to grip onto your job, or else you're going to lose it. If you, if you slip up one time, it's over. You've got to grip onto your marriage, and grip onto your friends with a white-knuckled grip, because it's all up to you to hang on to it. And so there's no rest for you. There's no peace. Because it's all on your shoulders. And Sabbath is about remembering that none of it is on your shoulders. It is all on his. And where is he right now? He is resting. He is in the boat, asleep, taking a nap. He is chilled out. And so that's good news because that means you can chill out. You can calm it down, <laughs> take a deep breath, and be at peace. It's going to be okay. Your life's going to be okay. Your kids are going to be okay. When my oldest was born, it's the only time in my life where I feel like God, it was almost like God spoke to me audibly. I don't know that he did. It was a weird moment. When I first saw Caitlin, I was a little, I shouldn't say a little, I was a lot worried about how this was going to go, me having a kid. Sort of a negative self-image and worried that, I don't know, I don't know if I can raise a kid. And I was worried about it. And it's like, as soon as I, literally the first second I saw her little face, God spoke to me and said, she's mine. And I thought, why, why was God, it was clearly from God. It was just, it was not a moment for, I was not praying. I was not listening to God. I was freaking out. What am I, this is a human being that's come out of my wife. What do I do with it, right? That, that was the feeling. And in that moment, God says to me, she's mine. Why does that matter? Why is that important? It's because she's not mine. She's his. That takes this enormous weight off of me and allows me to be a steward of the things that belong to God, not the owner. He's the owner. 
I'm the steward. That's a big difference. And every single thing in your life is like that. Your provision financially, your provision for the stuff you have that seems like it's always falling apart, your provision for your marriage, friendships, deep friendships, um, all these things that we worry about, they belong to him and you're stewards of them. So chill out. Relax. They belong to him. So some practical things. Then Heather's going to make some points and close this out. It says, or I said, this is not it. It's, I wrote these words. Uh, number one, the world is at war with rest. You need to recognize that everything around you in our culture is at war with this idea. Our world is constantly spinning with meaningless activity, pushing the pace of your life faster and faster. You feel that? It's like somebody standing behind you all the time just pushing, go faster, go faster, 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 faster. Don't slow down. You feel busy even when you're not busy. Just doom scrolling on your phone, worrying that you're missing something somewhere. Doing nothing, producing nothing, but feeling busy, feeling anxious. Depending on your generation and your personality, you either respond to this with hopeless idleness. Well, I'm just not doing anything if it's not meaningful. I'm just going to do nothing. Or you become a hopeless workaholic. I don't know what that's like, but I hear it's awful. <laughs> and so the, you're one of the two. You've got a tendency one way or the other to just go, but pointless. I'm just doing nothing. I'm going to twiddle my thumbs and watch Netflix or whatever the kids are watching these days. Probably not Netflix anymore. Or I'm just going to work myself to the bone and try to get ahead, whatever that means. That's what your culture wants you to do. So there's a gravitational pull that you have to resist all the time. Number two, Sabbath requires a sacrifice of control. You are not the one that holds your life together. You are not your provider, and neither is your employer. I think everybody should have the wonderful experience at least once, probably twice in your life, of being laid off, of losing a job. It is glorious and terrifying. And what you realize is that your boss was never your provider. The person who signs your paycheck is not the Lord of your life. God is. And if you have never experienced that, I pray that one day at the appropriate time you would lose your job and discover this for the first time. It's important. Don't blame me if everyone loses their job next week. I don't have that kind of power. But you need to lose control sometimes. Number three, Sabbath is a rhythm more than an event. I think that's the New Testament perspective. It's not a a thing that you do so much as it's a rhythm. It's how you look at your life and how you spend your time. So here, this is how I think about it. Break your life down into sections. Years, months, weeks, days. I think you could do hours, but that gets a little weird and legalistic. But just think about those chunks of your life. Consider how you can structure your life with a regular rhythm of stretches of work broken by times of rest. That's the pattern. Long stretches of really, truly hard work where you're pressing in, you're pouring yourself out for the kingdom of God 
and then you have moments of real rest. Maybe a week's vacation every year. Some people can't afford it, some people can't. If you've got the time, if you have work for a company that gives you time off, take it. We'll be one of those people. Don't retire. It is a failure if you retire with like six weeks of vacation added up. What are you doing? I was working. I had a career to build. Why? Take the time. Maybe a day off each week. I think that's probably the most direct application of those Sabbath principles. And each time, each and time each day to connect with God and others. Take your lunch break. Parents, get the kids to bed early. So you have time at the end of the day to just not be looking after keeping somebody alive. <laughs> Where you can just keep yourself alive for a couple hours. Let, let the sun go down and it be quiet. Right? So put them to bed. If they don't like going to bed early, just make them sit in their bed for a few hours and fall asleep. But just don't, you know, take a minute. You can. It's okay. You're still a good parent. Plan for rest during nap times. I remember my kids didn't sleep at all. But they took naps to plan for it. Steal the time where you can get it. Spouses help each other. Schedule it like the dentist appointment. It's amazing to me how we will keep um, a dentist appointment at the sacrifice of all other things. But we will not keep an appointment with rest. So I will cancel things, I'll not go to things, I'll tell them, I can't do that! I have a dentist appointment. It's very important. You understand? Yes, I understand, it's a dentist appointment. Don't miss it! But when it's a time of rest, it takes the slightest breeze of other people's expectations for you to drop it and fill it with stuff. That's not how God looks at it. Number four, pour yourself out so rest is not guilty. I think a lot of times if we're not working hard at things that we're called to do, then when we rest, we feel bad about it. And so part of the key, especially for somebody like me, is to if I work hard for six days, the guilt is not there on the seventh day. And number five, Sabbath is something is a something, not a nothing. This is a weird way to put it, but this is how I think about it. I tend to think of Sabbath as a nothing, as a blank space on my calendar. And that rest is something that you just, is a time of just not doing things. And so it's not important, because that's what my culture tells me. If you're doing something, it's important. If you're doing nothing, it's not important. So I see it's just as a thing that gets squeezed in when it gets squeezed in. But the truth is, God says Sabbath, rest, is a something. It's a thing that you plan for and you do just like you do anything else. It's not about doing nothing. It's about doing things that restore your soul and reinforce your dependence on God for your basic needs. Sabbath is something you plan for, you structure, and you thoughtfully consider beforehand. It's not a blank space. It's an intentional appointment with rest. That idea has been so important to me the past three months. It's an appointment with rest. I've got rest on my calendar and I'm 
I'm moving towards it just like I move towards any other appointment. And when I get there, I've got a plan for it, and I've thought about it, and I'm going to do it, even if it's doing nothing. And I think that's the principle I want us to get a hold of. So Heather, why don't you come up? Do your thing. Yeah, one of the things, so I'm, I'm a worker. I, I love working. I hate being idle. It drives me crazy. Like after about an hour, well, even like if we watch a movie, I'm doing something. I'm just like doing something with my hands. It's part of just how I'm made. I love it. So when we started talking about Sabbath and rest, I'm like, this is going to push all my buttons. Like what does that mean, you know? And so um, one of the things when we're going into sabbatical is um, like I own my own company, so I can't just set aside work. I have to, I have to work. Um, and, but I thought, well, what am I going to do with these off times? And so one of the things that helped me a lot was, because I've always said to Ben, like, I don't like just sitting and looking at my phone or sitting and, you know what I mean, do like just watching movies. It makes me feel actually more anxious at the end of the day because I feel like I literally have accomplished nothing. And I realized as I started like reading and praying about it that it's not nothing. It's just like what he was just saying. It's um, an intentional like filling of your soul. And so I just started praying and asking and, uh, and also just thinking about the things that actually make me feel filled up, you know. And some of that is um, doing things like spe- specifically with my family. So I have special things that I like doing with each of my kids and with Ben. And so I wrote those down. Like I, I, I made a, a list of things that like make me feel at rest and make me feel filled up. And if those happen during the day that I have to rest, then it, I'm happy and joyful and there's a, there's a satisfaction in it. And so it's not work, but it's what's resting. And so for me, like I love baking. So I like wrote that down on my list. I love go, I love like just color, like that's one of the things me and Eliana do is like we'll just color pictures, you know. So like, but that's fun to me and it's, it's fun to just like that's something that fills me up. It's not something that's work. Um, going on walks, going to our pool, um, sitting and having coffee with Ben. So like these are things that it's not it's not nothing, but it's because for me, just looking at three months of nothing, <laughs> aside from my work, just felt really weird. Um, but it then really I w- stressed you out. It did. St- it stressed yeah. me out. But when I realized that no, there is a place. The part of the Sabbath is recognizing with what Ben was saying is that it's not about me. It's not about me to provide, and it's not about me to like um, to do things. But it's me finding my fulfillment and recognizing God's provision in my life. And so being able to think about it and approach it from that way of like, what are the things that really fill me up? What are the things that, and so like, if a messy house makes me feel stressed out, which it does, then I'm going to make sure on a, like, but if we're going to have a day of rest that I'm getting that cleaned up before, because then it's not going to make me feel anxious and stressed out in that time. I can find a place of rest in that. I mean, so some of it is very practical and it's very, it's very specific to you because what I find rest in might sound, sound like torture to you. Like you might hate baking and I love it. And you know what I mean? So there's things like that. That's like, it might be working on the car. It might be doing things that there's, uh, there's always things that, and it might just be sitting and watching a movie and doing nothing. That's fine. But I would just, I would just um, encourage you that what are the things that fill up your soul? If you're sitting around doing nothing all day, I think most people feel pretty, uh, about that. It doesn't, it doesn't because it's not producing something good in you. Um, and so, <coughs> um, like, let me, sorry, I lost my place. 
Um, but one of the other things that God pointed out to me was that when Jesus was on the earth, um, he didn't always stop and heal, heal people. He didn't always perform the miracles that were expected. He didn't always set people free. You saw him do it a lot, but then he would move on. And I just was thinking about that, that concept for me, like as I knew I was going to be entering back into this place of like, of ministry and, and doing just normal life. It's like, what, God, what does that look like for me? Because I don't want to just pick up all the busyness again. I want to, I want to do it. And, and this, the scripture in John 5 where um, that he was actually being rebuked by the Pharisees because he was breaking Sabbath to heal. So there was something there that was interesting in that he was doing the work of the Father. Um, and they were so upset about the specific day, which was Sabbath, that they were freaking out. And he said, um, <clears throat> truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. And it just hit me that, like, finding my provision in God, finding my, um, my purpose in the things that he's called me to do means that I'm following him. And if I'm following him, I'm going to do the things he says and not do the things he doesn't say, even if it looks like, hey, I really should be meeting with this person, or I really should be doing this thing, or I should be doing that thing, because it looks like the right thing to do. Jesus did a lot of, of doing those right things, and he also did a lot of saying, it's not my time. It's not the time for now. And so the way that I connect with God, the way that I can do that is by spending time with him, asking him on a daily basis, God, what do you have for me today? What are the things that you do? And that includes in my doing, in my working in those six days, but also in my resting. I mean, so as we've come out, like we're coming out of sabbatical into normal life, um, we spent intentional time of praying about it. Like, what does that look like? I do work, and, and, then, and then Sunday is a lot of work as well for us. And so what does that look like for me? How can I have a sabbatical? So we were, like, able to actually, like, talk through some of that Sabbath thing. Like, let's do this and not that. And for everybody, it's going to look different. Um, but understanding that I am not pro my provider, I am not the one that... Um, makes the world turn. It is not up to me to set people free. It's not up to me to solve people's problems. It's God. And so resting in doing what I see the Father do and only doing those things, um, even if it means disappointing people, even if it means being misunderstood, um, that that's the thing, that's the place that I need to land. Um, and so we cannot do that on our own. We can't, we do that with people around us, helping us speak into those places. We do that with reading scripture. We do that with praying. We do that with asking God and, um, and submitting our lives to him and to each other. And so when we do that, then we're going to see a lot of fruit because we're going to be doing the things he's telling us to do and not mm -hmm. just the things that, um, that seem good or seem right or seem like good things. So um, I'm going to pray for us just that we can find our dependence on God and just our, our dependence and our, our worth in him. Um, and just that out of that place will come rest, um, because when we really understand that, we're not running around trying to do all the things. Um, so I just want to pray for us, and then we'll sing one more song. God, I thank you that um, you are our provider. God, that our rest is found in you, and that there is um, nothing that we can do to take that away. Um, but God, we can, um, like Ben said, white-knuckle it, that we can try to hold on. And so God, I just pray for the places in our lives where we are trying to hold too tight to control and to hold too tight to the things that seem like they matter, God. 
God, that we'll give them to you and that it won't be something where um, we're trying to have our own agenda fulfilled. God, I pray for the people that, that feel um, like chaos in their souls or chaos in their schedules, God, that you will begin to speak to them even this week about what rest looks like, what the practical things for that look like, what the um, spiritual aspects of that look like, um, and that there'll be a, a real place of being excited about fulfilling the things that you're telling us to do and doing what we see the Father doing, um, that that will be what excites us and that that comes in the work and that that comes in the rest. God, I just pray that you'll do that in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.